In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Gentlemen, welcome to the True Life Podcast on a beautiful Friday. It looks like we made it. We did it, ladies and gentlemen. How's your day? How's your afternoon? How's your evening coming? Are you sipping a cocktail right now? Having a cup of coffee? I don't know. Maybe you're eating lunch. Maybe you're getting ready to go out at night. Maybe you're one of these young bucks about to experience the fulfillment and the tragedies of being a 20-year-old. Exciting times, right? So exciting, I thought that I would invite our good friend Arthur Schopenhauer, yeah, you guessed it, to the conversation today. Who's ready? I know I am. I want you to think about the impulse of one's will to life. That is to say, the inward experience of what the Buddhists call Atman, oneself. Compare it to, or think about how the inward experience correlates to the outward experience. I'm going to read to you an insight of Schopenhauer. And it's an insight on compassion. Are you ready? Here we go. How is it possible, he asks in his celebrated essay on the foundation of morality. How is it possible that suffering that is neither my own nor of my concern should immediately affect me as though it were my own and with such force that it moves me to action? This is something really mysterious something for which reason can provide no explanation and for which no basis can be found in practical experience. It is nevertheless of common occurrence, and everyone has had the experience. It is not unknown even to the most hard-heartened and self-interested. 
Examples appear every day before our eyes of instant responses of the kind, without reflection, one person helping another, coming to his aid, even setting his own life in clear danger for someone whom he has seen for the first time. Having nothing more in mind than the other is in need and in peril of his life. Schopenhauer's answer to his question is that this immediate reaction we have, that this response that we have, it represents the breakthrough, the breakthrough of the metaphysical realization. This presupposes, he declares, that I have, to some extent, identified myself with the other, and therewith removed for the moment the barrier between the I and the not I. Only then can the other's situation, his want, his need, become mine, my want and my need. I then no longer see him in the way of an empirical perception as one strange to me, indifferent to me, completely other than myself. But in him I suffer, in spite of the fact that his skin does not enfold my nerves. Think about that for a moment. Think about the pain you feel when someone you love is feeling sorrow. Maybe it's your mother. Maybe it's your father. Maybe it's your kids or your sister. Maybe you've recently lost somebody. Maybe you know someone that has. I got good news and bad news for you. The good news is, if you felt that, then you understand that this thing that you think is a curse is the world's greatest gift to you. I know it's difficult to think about that right now if you're just fresh off losing someone or you've had a horrible experience, but I promise you, if you just hold on to that thought, hold on to the thought that that which curses me becomes my gift, and I promise you, in time, you'll grow to understand what I mean. That's the good news. The bad news is, if this hasn't happened to you, it's going to. So, I guess from that logic, the bad news will eventually be good news. <laughs> Let's carry on. Individuation is but an appearance in a field of space and time. These being the conditioning forms through which my cognitive faculties apprehend their objects. I want to pause on that sentence for a minute. Individuation is but an, an appearance in a field of space and time. These being the conditioning forms through which my cognitive faculties apprehend their objects. Okay, think for a minute of the person who has lost their sight. They carry the cane around so they can feel where they're going, right? Here's an, here's an experiment you can do. You can either do it in your mind as a thought experiment, or you could actually do it in reality. If you pick up a stick, or imagine you're carrying a cane, and just stand up and walk through your house with your eyes closed and move that stick back and forth. For me, when I do it, I hit a table. I hit a table leg. And I can't 
feel the table leg with my hand or my body, but I can feel it with that cane, with that stick. And when I smack it, tack, 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 I know it's there. But not only do I know it's there, I can feel the table leg through the cane. Does that make sense? I'm not using my hand, I'm not using my body to touch the table leg, but I'm using this cane, this stick. And in a way, my body is in that cane. Because when I tap the leg with the cane, I can picture the table leg in my mind, even though I'm not touching it with my hand, even though I am not using my body to actually feel it. It's as if my powers of touch, they go into the cane. They become part of, they are projected inside the cane. My property is inside it. And it's amazing to think that you can project your power of feeling into other objects. Think about that for a minute. You can project your sense of touch into a cane, touch foreign objects and know what they are. So if you can infuse, if you can inject or project your senses into an inanimate object, Think about what you can do with another being, right? These ideas that we call empathy, these ideas of understanding that we are each part of the whole, it brings together the idea of us all being connected. You can project your fears, your love, your understanding, your anxiety. You could project all these things into other people. And too often, people do it unconsciously. We do it all the time. It's part of the world of negotiation. It's part of the world of neuro-linguistic programming. It's part of the relationship called love. It's part of every relationship. We're constantly projecting into other people that which is inside us. And this is what Schopenhauer argues, that there is no individuality. Does that kind of make sense? Hence, the multiplicity and differences that distinguish individuals are likewise but appearances. They exist, that is to say, only in my mental representation. My own true inner being actually exists in every living creature as truly and immediately as known to my consciousness, only in myself. This realization for which the standard formula in Sanskrit is tat tvam asi is the ground of the compassion upon which all true, that is to say unselfish, virtue rests and whose expression is in every good deed. It's an amazing concept. So there is something that I have been wanting to do for a while and I am going to test it out here. There's a really cool meditation that I can give you and you can look up, but I find there's something powerful about saying it and sharing it with other people. So that's what I'm going to do for you now. This is from the Mahavakyas from the Vedanta tradition. Are you ready? Here we go. 
I want you just to think about these ideas and just let them roll around in your head. You could pause it or you can listen to all of them. Either way, if you take a few moments to truly listen to them and let them grow inside of you, then they will begin to change you. I highly recommend it. I am space. I am the sun. I am the directions above and below. I am the gods. I am the demons. I am all beings. I am darkness. I am the earth. I am the ocean. I am the dust, the wind, the fire in all this world. I am omnipresent. How can there be anything but me? Me, the spirit. The world exists in me. The self. The infinite consciousness. Even as a reflection seems to exist in a mirror. I am the fragrance in flowers. The light in radiance. And even in that light, I am the experience. Whatever mobile or immobile beings exist in this universe, I am their supreme truth or consciousness, free from conceptualization. I am the very essence in all things in the universe, just as butter exists in milk and liquidity exists in water. Even so as the energy of consciousness, I exist in all that exists. Isn't that a beautiful way to begin your day? I thought it was fascinating. I wanted to also touch upon a few ideas that I had. I've been talking to a friend of mine who lives over in Maui. And he is raises queen bees. It's really fascinating to talk to someone who has their finger on the pulse of nature. Is that close to it? Practicing a tradition that has been with us since... Man began to talk to nature or began to observe himself as part of nature and able to communicate with it. Sometimes I think that that is part of the problem we have today is we ignore the signs, the beauty, the language of nature that is constantly trying to get our attention, whether it's the wind in the trees or the fragrance in flowers or just a smile on a stranger's face. Too often we have become callous to the clues nature's leaving behind for us. I think you can live a beautiful life if you start tuning into that and start looking for those clues. You can begin to flirt with natural beauty. With, with the natural beauty? With the spirit that is natural beauty? I guess it's something like that, right? Well, the reason I'm telling you about my conversation with my friend Paul is that I was reading this paper he wrote on particular parasites that infect bees as well as pollutants and insecticides that have caused the colony collapse. And he has done some interesting work there. If you were like me, you are always looking for what it is Nietzsche, Nietzsche, Nietzsche too, 
If you're like me, what you're always looking for are these signs from nature to clue you in on what's happening to man. I believe that we didn't come into this world, we came out of it. And if we want to know where we're heading, all we need to do is listen to nature. So how do I get to the bees from looking at nature? Well, everybody is aware that there has been, for the last decade or two, something called colony collapse, and it's all these hives, all these bees dying. And there's ideas why, but there's not a whole lot of real proof. And whenever one scientific study comes out, there seems to be another one that comes out to negate that. I happen to believe if you want to know what the study is telling you, then you should look at who funds the study. Much like the tobacco industry paid doctors to say smoking is good for you, so too do the majority of scientific studies today show you what exactly the corporations want them to say. It's a sad truth. And so after reading my friend's study, it was relatively clear to me that what is going on, at least in this experiment, was a type of pesticide called a neonicotoid. And it causes the bees to slowly die because the toxins build up in the honey and the cells and eventually they get to the queen and the brood and the colony collapses. However, there's a lot of questions to really narrow down exactly how it's happening. And as I read through the study, I came to the same conclusion as him, but then I also came to a further conclusion. Isn't it odd how our society seems to be collapsing today, regardless of what country you live in? Much like regardless of what beehive the bee lives in, the colonies are collapsing all over the world. It's almost as if 20 years ago or even 10 years ago, nature was trying to tell us the world in which we live is not sustainable. Not because the people are consuming too much. Not because the people around the world are horrible people that throw their straws and bags into the ocean. Not for that. It's because the people creating the material goods the sustenance, the thing that the people on the bottom are supposed to live on. There's no longer nutrients. It's no longer wholesome. It's no longer worthwhile. In fact, things are becoming worth less. And if you say that word fast, it says worthless. And when things are worthless, life becomes unbearable. So, I really think we can look at nature and see where we're headed. And as I dwelled on it for a while, it takes you to kind of a sad spot. But then there's always some part of nature that smiles back at me and says, what are you going to do about it, George? Well, here's what I think you could do about it. You know, I think it was Herman Melville who says, I know I've been talking about Melville lately, and Captain Ahab says to Starbuck when he's fighting the white whale and he says to Starbuck, I would strike out the sun if it insulted me. For if the sun could do that to me, then I could do the other. For there is ever a sense of fair play. And I want you to think about that statement. 
He's saying, listen, if the son insulted me, I would punch it in the face. Because if the son can do it to me, then I can do it back. The world has a sense of fair play. Like that. So the reason I bring that up is this. These chemical companies, the Gates Foundation, Bayer, Monsanto, all the Terminator seeds, all these companies that have gone out of their way to spend millions, if not billions of dollars, to invent seeds that no longer grow certain types of crops or they no longer produce other seeds. And they've patented these genes. You know, they've spent billions of dollars on this. So they can produce GMO crops that they can patent and they can take all the money from. Well, what if? What if we could raise bees that no longer feed on GMO crops? What if we could clone insects organically the way we clone mushrooms or the way we clone certain strains of weed, animal husbandry? What if we could clone our ants, our ants, not our aunts? What if we could clone bees, like a, a set of queen bees? We could change their habits so they no longer found GMO crops palatable. I guess we would have to train the worker bees not to pollinate those plants. But it could be done. You know, if you take a mushroom and you cut out at the base of it and you put it in a, in a little bit of agar, you can grow that exact same mushroom. You can clone that mushroom. And if you do it four times, you have a completely new strain of mushrooms. And while you can't cut out a bee and grow a bee, I think we could use the work of Pavlov of Harlow, maybe not that extreme, but we could induce behaviors. We could create an environment where the bees were not subject to GMO crops. And perhaps over a few generations, perhaps over the life of a hive or two or three, we could train those bees to no longer seek out that sustenance which resides in the GMO crops. Think about that. In a matter of years, you could completely undo and wipe out what the big ag company has spent multi-billions of dollars over the last hundred years trying to create. You could wipe it out in a matter of years. <laughs> what do you think would happen? Can you imagine the headline? Imagine this headline, if you will. Local Hawaiian farmer raises colony of bees that refuses to feed on GMO crops. What do you think would happen if that headline got national attention? When you got home, you'd have the CIA at your door. You'd have every executive representing big ag at your door with a check in their hand. You would have the Secretary of Agriculture from every major country just waiting to talk to you. That is, of course, if you made it home and didn't get killed first. I think it's totally plausible. And I think it's super funny that you could wipe out, wipe away these Davos crowd, I'm smarter than everybody, these, you know, born on third base and told everybody they hit a triple. Just wipe away their entire life's work in a matter of years. Oh, guess what? Turns out all that stuff you did was dumb. Guess what? Turns out biology is a million times better than your stupid experiments. <laughs>
hey, congratulations on your Terminator seeds. Why don't you go ahead and keep all those somewhere in your house? Wouldn't that be amazing? I think it can be done. And even, what do you think about this? What if we did just did it as a social experiment? What if we got together a large group, a large enough group, you don't want it to be too big, but what if you got together a big enough group of people? You got together a few beekeepers, a few vertical farming, a, a few farms that own vertical buildings, and a few scientists together, and you created this plan, and you began doing it, and you ran that headline. What do you think would happen? Let me ask you this. Would you be willing to pay a little bit more money for honey or even to a, a, a type of GoFundMe campaign to get this off the ground? Because I think it's possible, and I think it would be amazing even as a social experiment. So I'm curious to what you guys think about that. I think it's a fascinating idea. I think we should do it. I think just putting this idea in the lexicon is something that could invite, entice, and bring the idea to fruition. I think that that's something that is inspired from the Mahavakyas. I love you guys. Hope you have a great day. I hope the world is singing. And I hope you realize how great the world's about to get. And look for the clues nature's leaving you. I love you. Let's get up and get out. Aloha.
Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.